0: Is that your new Lexus Rx? Rx plug-in hybrid. So it runs all-electric? Yeah, for short trips. And can switch to gas for long. Wow. What does your range anxiety therapist say? Dr. Feeney? Uh Uh-huh. He says my Rx cured me. No more range anxiety therapy? Nope. Well, you're an inspiration to us all. The best-selling Lexus Rx lineup. Now with a plug-in hybrid. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs>
1: anyway, best fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio the show I am Brian, with me as always is Chris, and uh, we are recording this as the Mets just dropped a 5-1 game to the Nationals, started by Wilmer Font, who was acquired to be, I guess, maybe a swingman, a long reliever, a spot starter, and has now made a couple of starts for the Mets, and uh, looked okay in his first start, looked less okay this start, <laughs> not lasting three innings, You've up five runs, walked two. Um I don't know what to say about the Mets starting pitching right now. You had a really interesting sort of take on this when we were texting about this earlier. So I want you to start, and then I'm gonna kinda of argue with you, but kind of agree with you. So <laughs> tell All me right. what you said about the Mets pitching.
2: Well, it's just so uh, top heavy might not even be the right word. It's it's there's Three guys who look like they're doing, you know, what we'd expect them to do. And that that's it. You know, It's it's hard when you have three and a half starting pitchers. And my, that half is either, um, you know, generously assigned to Steven Matz or a quarter of it is, you know, or half of the half. So one quarter is Matz and the other is Font. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I just don't it's it's the ultimate frustrating Mets thing. You know, These the DeGrom-Syndergaard-Wheeler majority of the rotation has been outstanding lately. Um, I think it was Mike Puma, if not, apologies to the wrong, or getting the beat right or wrong, but I think it was Mike Puma who pointed out uh, before tonight's game the Mets have... Uh, two point something ERA second best in baseball so far in May. And it's two weeks, you know, I don't think it was designed for anybody to take that too seriously, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, you have super exciting, good pitching and just just nothing. (laughs) And I, I don't believe that Stephen Matz is going to pitch this weekend. I will be pleasantly surprised if he pitches in May I won't be shocked if he doesn't pitch until July. You know, it's just.
1: Is that just because of Matt's injury history? You feel that way?
2: Yeah. And I mean, unless over the last couple of days I missed something that he threw a bullpen and it went great and he had no issues whatsoever. Now I got to look this up. E- even then, I'm skeptical. <laughs> but, you know, when this started, this elbow thing, it came up okay. It's it's his elbow. He's going to get it checked out. Uh, he couldn't complete a bullpen, and that's why we got him examined. That was alarm bells and flags and everything uh,
1: to me, you know? So it's... So Matt is going to throw a side session. It looks like probably tomorrow before they decide when he's going to start. Okay. Um so i I said I was gonna somewhat argue with your position here. I will argue that Stephen Matz has been the one of the more consistent pitchers for the Mets this season thus far and that sure. if Mats is back, I think that they have four legitimate starting pitchers now granted you know I'm cherry picking a little bit here i I'm not gonna totally dismiss that game he didn't get he didn't get a single out in but even with that game he's pitching to a 3.86 ERA um you know he is not walking many people his walks are way down uh you know he's only walked 9 people over 7 starts that's that's quite good especially cuz Matt's is a guy who in the past has struggled with, with his control a little bit you know he is he is not striking out a ton of batters, but he's not giving up a ton of hard contact either. Aside from that one truly horrible start, he has not given up more than three earned runs in a single start. You know, he's, he's pitching pretty well right now. And I think when he comes back, if he comes back healthy, then the Mets have a slightly less terrible problem, (laughs) which is still coming up with a fifth starter and the sixth starter. And ideally a seventh starter, so we don't have to see Vargas or Font or Oswalt or insert quad A arm here in there. But I flexing like, flexing, yeah. Uh, but I don't think, I don't think Mats. I hope Mats is not as hurt as you fear he is, and I think that when Mats has been healthy, I think Mats has been absolutely fine for the Mets this year.
2: Yeah, I can't argue with the performance. I... <laughs> I think I'm just at a point where giving them the benefit of the doubt, whether it, it, it's, it can be the individual player, the team as a whole, uh, it's just tough to give the benefit of the doubt on an injury timeline uh, at this point. So if he gets out there and makes a start, then I'll, I'll bring it up to they have a whopping four major league <laughs> starting pitchers, which is still not good. Uh, no, it's not. I, it wouldn't be so frustrating if they had seen it coming if they had gone out and gotten somebody uh, sure it would be disappointing if they had gone and gotten somebody realizing Vargas wasn't the answer Masses is hurt and now we're shuffling through long man Jason Vargas has to make some starts or Anybody else who you just mentioned has to make some starts. But, you know, today I saw somebody reference Font as a spot starter. (laughs) It's like, it's his second time through the rotation.
1: (laughs) And he might get a third time through.
2: (laughs) Right. And, okay, sure, he, he doesn't pitch more than four innings. But he's still starting in a turn in the rotation. Yeah. So... Yeah, that that's the negative
1: side of it. What's especially frustrating to me is that even the, when this started happening, the Mets still were comfortable doing nothing. You know, looking at and I know every week it's like my job to bring up Gio Gonzalez because I wanted the Mets to sign him in the offseason, but Gio Gonzalez made 3 starts for the Brewers so far. He has given up a total of 3 earned runs in those 3 starts. He's walked 4 people. He has gone at least five innings in every start he's made. He is throwing to a one six nine ERA. Again, all this is a small sample size. I'm you know, sing the Ted Birds Ted Berg song, I get it. But if those three starts were made for the Mets instead of two font starts and a Vargas start, the Mets could be in a considerably better position right now.
2: Yeah. Hey they're convinced he's only a marginal upgrade.
1: I think the evidence is just proving that incorrect. Every, every time he takes the mound or someone else takes the mound. Right.
2: And the thing is with him in particular, and once again, Dallas Keuchel is still available. Uh, Yes. Agreed. (laughs) But with Gonzalez getting the contract he got with the Brewers and basically having it come out after the fact that the Mets may have been interested, but Weren't willing to guarantee him any playing time. Uh. I don't know. That makes it even more frustrating. They, there was that aspect of it. There was also the report. That they were worried about. What if he's bad. Uh. Shortly before they. DFA'd Travis Darno, I was just going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have to tender a contract. And called up a Danny Hechevarria. Who. Uh. I don't want to say he's useless. <laughs> But he's not really doing anything that Guillaume can't do. He is
1: older, more expensive than Guillaume.
2: Right. Yeah. And now, you know, he's got a spot in the 40. He's earning actual money, not just the league minimum. Um, You know, you add these things up and it starts to get concerning that there's always an excuse for what you don't do. Right. You know, whether they play it off as we, we tried really hard to get this guy or if they just dismiss and say, like, eh, nah, we, we just weren't interested for whatever reason. But, you know, when you present it as, oh, what if we pay him and then he's bad, do they ever think to themselves, what if somebody else pays him and he's good?
1: Right. And we're not it's, talking a lot of money here this isn't Keiko money
2: right No, this is four minor league not minor leaguers sorry it, it, it's the equivalent of four league, league minimum, minimum yeah guys uh, and you do have to you know have 25 players on a roster uh, it's not a huge jump if you wanted to argue yeah, and based on what we've read with Keiko uh, from Ken Rosenthal, and uh, I'm trying to remember if anybody else had some of the specific details. But Keikel sounds like what he's asking for isn't totally astronomical. He may have started the offseason that way, but you could at least make an argument that Keikel is holding you know, too too strong with his demands. And I would still disagree with you, but you sure. could make an argument for look, he's you know he's over 30, he's not quite the pitcher he used to be, he wants to get paid like the pitcher he used to be, I'm not comfortable with that for the Mets.
1: I mean, we're also talking at this point, he would need minimum of a month to get ready. So, right. you know, m- m- injuries are happening, you don't sign Dallas Keuchel and bring him up next week. That's not happening. I mean, they might. <laughs> oh, they might. Sure, they might. But, they you know, seem to think that rehab assignments don't matter for pitchers anymore. That that is very true. Um, <laughs> but you know, to me, again, not to keep being the geo guy, but like Gonzalez was pitching in the high minors, he was able to come up and right away join the rotation, and you know, I know I can't really fault them for going. Uh, you're going after Font. I think Font was a a fine flyer to take. You know, you got to take those guys over the course of a season. Um, you know, you have to. But Font isn't going to wind up doing a goddamn thing. That's my problem, you know. Just I feel like Font was literally the the path of least resistance. Hey, look, we're going after a guy. He's going to be able to give us some starts, and when everyone's healthy, he'll work out of the bullpen, and it's fine. That guy could have been Gio Gonzalez for not that much more money and a much longer track record and likely a much better performance.
2: Yeah, man. And there's part of this that feels like they're holding on for Anthony Kay and Cespedes. Which is... And I'm as processed, but as you can get, uh, and you know, love the guy. And he's not a pitcher, so he doesn't tie in directly to this. But it just starts feeling that way, that the team is once again looking at, well, we like what we've got. And these guys don't cost us any new money. It's, <laughs> if we hear about uh, you know in July, hey, Cespedes is progressing, and we think he might be back in mid-August. But that seems like an optimistic scenario. But let's let's say that's the case, and they want to pull out their favorite oldie Diva goodie that just gets passed down from GM to GM. You know, it's like a it's like a trade deadline acquisition. Uh, we we get the best trade chip. Yep. Uh, I would love for them to treat the the money the same way. Yeah, the the oh, this guy's here and uh, we have to pay him now. Y- y- even though the insurance was covering everything else, uh, I'd love for them to try to. Have those things match up? I don't know if what I'm saying is making any sense. No, I, d-
1: I definitely understand what you're saying, and to me, there's there's just some very obvious holes in that he's the best trade acquisition we can get at the deadline argument. Number one being that right now, I mean, yes, tonight the Mets needed a- offense, but right now the offense isn't really the problem, and if it is the problem, it's a problem of like streakiness and luck, etc. The team is built, off. the team is deep offensively. Whether everybody is hitting at the moment is a thing to debate and to discuss, but ultimately the team is built well offensively. I mean, if Cespedes comes back, and we've talked about this before, we're not going to spend too much time on it tonight, if Cespedes comes back, there gets to be some really hard conversations about playing time for various offensive players. That That's a real thing, that this team is deep offensively. The team is not deep defensively. I mean, it's not uh, deep pitching wise, and right now that is the biggest that is the biggest problem they have, and I know that their farm system is not overflowing with people who they can trade for quality starting pitching. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go back in time and relitigate the off season. It just seems to me like this team has not been very good. On, in the very small again tiny sample size in the very short Brody Van Wagenen era it seems to me like this team is not is not very well prepared for when things that you expect to go wrong go wrong like nobody nobody could have been prepared for Michael Conforto swinging his shoulder off right, right. That, that's not an injury that happens typically so you can't be prepared for that But how could the Mets have not been prepared for needing another starting pitcher?
2: Yeah. And I don't think they came into the season looking at Anthony Kay and thinking, hey, this guy's going to take Vargas' spot. I think he's gotten off to an impressive start, and you've started to see some mentions among the beat reporters that he's caught their eye and... They're paying attention and all that. You know, he, he might be on the horizon in one way, shape or form. But I that wasn't that wasn't the off season plan. <laughs> no,
1: that was not how they wrote it up in in uh, in December,
2: right? The, Anthony Kay wasn't in the discussion when they supposedly made up the Edwin Diaz rule,
1: right? Exactly. Ugh.
2: So. Yeah. If if I want to be an optimist on the pitching side, it is awesome to see the other three, the three dudes who are healthy and major league pitchers (laughs) doing awesome things Uh, to the to the point about the May ERA, even through two weeks. uh, Those three had pitched coming into tonight and it, it didn't change that drastically. Uh, but they had pitched 56% of the team's innings so far this month, in part because of off days and rainouts uh, and other uh, other pitchers who were starting in the other slots not going that long in games anyway. You know, it's uh, that's great. It's just not how it breaks down over the long haul. You don't get a majority of your innings thrown by three of your starting pitchers.
1: Right.
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Yeah, I, I, just, I had a thought while we were talking, and we we did not discuss this. So I'm sorry. I'm, I'm throwing a topic at you without prior knowledge here. But how much of this do you think it can or will be uh, argued by that this is Brody's first? go around as a GM? Um, What do you mean? Like, what specifically? Like, at the end of the season, when the Mets miss the playoffs, Ah, okay. Is he going to say, like, listen, I didn't realize how much starting pitching depth we needed. It's my first time doing this. I'll be better next time.
2: I don't think so. I could see... I don't think he'll say that.
1: Well, I, I don't mean him, but do you think somebody do you think that's gonna be the position the team takes?
2: Right. Somebody puts that out into the universe. Yes. Hey for for a season as a GM, we're happy with the moves he made. We're gonna give him all the resources he needs to make this team even better and push us back to the playoffs, blah, 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 blah.
1: Yes. Right.
2: Yeah, I, I could see. I mean if you If you're a public-facing Mets employee, I could see you getting thrown under the bus in a a flat-out kind of way or in a backhanded compliment kind of way. It it wouldn't be that shocking. Uh, Yeah, if it plays out that way and they – let's say Callaway lasts the season, but they they fire him at the end of the season. You know, look, Brody went out. We had a winning record. Let's give him – some benefit of the doubt here, um, whether it's warranted or not. But we won 85 games. We came up short. Brody, for his first season as the GM, we're happy with what he did. And now he's picking the next manager of this team. He'll pick his guy. And and that's when everything's going to click. Yeah. Let will give him another offseason and his manager and <laughs> we're in great shape. I can see that. Totally.
1: Do you think that that's a valid position to take? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, every winter it's
2: sort of this this game that, that we get stuck in with who's making the decisions. And I think a lot of Mets fans who have been around for the last decade, really, you know, t- 2006, 7, 8, Obviously, there was heartbreak involved to end all of those seasons, but those were good teams. Yes, those were competitive teams. You could go back with hindsight and and tweak some things here or there uh, to make them, you know, make them all better, put them all over the top. But those were good, contending, competitive teams. Not the best in Mets history with seven and eight, uh, and. 2006 wasn't technically either but that was one of the most dominant seasons the team's ever had. Yes. But that era ends. And and, and, City...
1: and also that that era was really done in by injuries. Uh-huh. You know, the 2006 team if had if they had their healthy starting pitching, I think it's a very different story.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and they got pretty far without it.
1: Yeah, exactly. So anyway, sorry. But, go ahead.
2: Yeah, no. So if if you've been tuned in for this last decade you've had this sort of endless cycle oh was it the gm who made this decision or who went with this guy who was cheaper instead of this other guy who was more expensive or was it the will ponds and i think they've enjoyed having the flexibility uh, you know payroll flexibility is the infamous phrase Hmm. but i think that flexibility to Deflect, blame, or make it a mystery. Uh, put it out into the universe that it could be the GM's call. The, there were years there where it was like, well, Sandy Alderson, uh, he just doesn't like spending money. You know, <laughs> that, that, that that's all it is. That, that that kind of messaging, Whether it wasn't coming out in press releases, but things that would come up and... and get said. Uh, and I think that benefits them. The more that we try to figure it out uh, the and and play the finger-pointing game within the Mets, uh, I think we lose sight of it. I think a lot of people have gotten to a point that they will chalk it up to the will I, you know, I don't think anybody saw this offseason happen and said... Brody Van and doesn't realize that Manny Machado was good.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: There, there are some other decisions that have been made that make me question what exactly they prioritize or what, what they weight heavily. Things that we've already mentioned in this episode. But I think he realizes that Manny Machado... Is uh, I said good, but great. One of the better players in all of the all the baseball. I think he knows Bryce Harper is really, really good. I, I don't think he was the one who decided. You know, we're not gonna even consider these guys.
1: I agree with that.
2: So, yeah, this is this is it's all. Focused on the pitching. We've got a little bit uh, all over the place, but that that sort of
1: sums up the Mets. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you mentioned this before, and we had talked about this before the show, so I do want to get to this. But, you know, one of the reasons that Mickey Calloway was hired to be the Mets manager was his experience as a pitching coach. And that the Mets felt, or at least the Wilpons, had felt like... And, and Alderson, I'll put this on him too, you know, felt like the Mets needed a manager who had more experience dealing with pitchers. And he was, he was billed as this, you know, pitching coach phenom who was going to really be a positive force for the pitchers on the team. And maybe all the pitchers on the team love Mickey. I don't know. I'm not on the clubhouse. But... It seems to me like most of his gaffes that he's made as a manager have been directly related to the pitching staff. And so I know we have no say in the matter. I know we don't. We have no inside information. If the Mets do not succeed this season, if they don't make the playoffs, if they don't keep it close to the final week of the season, is there any chance that Callaway is back next year? I'm going to say no. He's got to win right now, I think, to, to keep his job.
2: Yeah. Whether or not it's fair is another question. But Absolutely.
1: That's I, not what I'm asking.
2: And I, I'm not his biggest supporter either. But, yeah, I think he'd have to at least get
1: them to the playoffs to keep the job. You don't think if he, if he keeps them in until the end of the season, and they fight real hard. You don't think that's enough? Maybe. Certainly, if they don't have a winning record, he's gone.
2: Okay. I guess I would I would bet on him being gone without a playoff appearance, even if it's just a wild card game. But you, your scenario is reasonable. I could see them making the case. You're one. Same thing with, with Brody except it's two years in. Right. They are really happy. See,
1: I could also see them pointing to the injuries as a reason why he didn't succeed. Yeah. Depending what the injury situation looks like at the end of the season. You know, it's hard to tell
2: that now. Right. Right yeah. now they've been pretty lucky. They haven't really had injuries.
1: Uh, well, that's not that, true. Okay.
2: They... <laughs> <laughs> they for for a normal baseball team, especially the Mets, sure, Lowry has been gone. Uh, and we're dealing with this mats vargas thing right now. So it's not nothing, but Conforto, Alonso, McNeil, DeGrom, Syndergaard-Wheeler, Rosario, Nimmo. Um, Diaz. Yeah, Edwin Diaz, Cano. They've all been healthy. I guess okay. Familia and Justin Wilson. So it's not
1: zero, but it's it's within the it's within the, within the normal scope of injuries for a team to have had in the first six weeks of the season. Right.
2: They're not the Yankees. Right. On the injury front.
1: So or or on any front, really. But well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different story altogether. Um I I uh I have mixed feelings about Callaway. You know, on one hand, I think that Callaway seems like a guy who maybe could keep the clubhouse motivated. He seems like a pretty good motivator. That's important, I suppose. Um you know, we have debated in the past and I don't have an answer of sort of how important a manager is in terms of a team's success over the course of a season. I don't think that it's nothing. I I don't think it's everything either. And so on one hand, I think that you got to give Callaway the opportunity to learn on the job. And I think that the the plus side of him working with Alderson was that Alderson wasn't going to go out and make the splashy moves that Van Wagenen made. And so he probably would have bought himself another year of middling Mets teams to learn on the job for you're, you're right now seeing him thrown into the lion's den of, you know, you're supposed to, we're supposed to be winning games. We're supposed to be competing in the toughest division in baseball, theoretically. Um, And, you know, that, that's a lot for him to take on his shoulders. And so I feel bad for the guy that he's, that he has unfair expectations thrust upon him. On the other hand, I think he has made just about every bonehead move he could make, on and off the field, from fishing with with TJ, Donald Trump Jr. Um, to the sort of flip way that he deals with the press sometimes, to his total lack of understanding of double switching, to overconfidence in his double switching ability, like he's just he's just been a bad. He has not done many good things for the Mets. He he handled the David Wright situation as well as he could last year, and that's about the best thing I could say for him, and I truly think any manager would have handled it exactly the same way. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, overall, I think that's fair.
1: So, I don't know. I, I don't wish the guy harm, but I do think that Van Wagenen probably has a different idea for who he wants managing the team next year. And unless Callaway surprises everybody, we're going to get that vision for next year.
2: Yeah, that's fair.
1: Well, I guess uh, before we get to our music recommendations, we do want to talk about Jed Lowry a little bit. So Lowry suffered yet another setback. He was sent back to Port St. Lucie. He'll be reevaluated in two weeks, after which he will likely start yet another rehab assignment. When do you think we're gonna see Jed Lowry in a Mets uniform on the field?
2: Hmm. I joked the other day that if he just stays in Port St. Lucie for the entire contract, that might make him the truest Met of all time. <laughs> Uh <laughs> You're not wrong. Let's see. I'll, I'll go. Let's let's be optimistic. I, I feel like despite the team being kind of a downer lately, I've been very much a downer on them in this episode. So let's be optimistic and say uh, a month from when the hamstring thing happened. So go June 15th. Do they have a game that day? Let's look. <laughs> it's very important uh, yes. that I get this right. Yes, d- June Fifteenth, you know what? I'll I'll go a day earlier. Uh, oh nope, it's a four game series. <laughs> Never mind, sticking with it. June fifteenth at home <laughs> against the Cardinals. Saturday night, Jed Lowry comes in and uh, helps salvage uh, the series.
1: You ready for my hot take here? Sure. We see Cespedes in uniform before we see Lowry in uniform.
2: Nice. Okay.
1: We should put a poll out there on that one. <laughs> Yeah, that's a fun idea. Actually, we should do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, I I just it just seems like there are so many injuries that like there are certain players that you just from the moment the injury happens you think, oh, we're never gonna see that guy again. And right. Lowry's capsule injury just seemed like it was gonna be one of those. Lingering injuries that we weren't going to know that, that, that there was a real chance of him being out for a long time. And it appears that is the case. Um, I, I really don't know if we see him this season play baseball.
2: That would be something. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I do too. I want the Mets to win. <laughs> And I like him as a player when he's out there.
1: Yes, yes. I, again, we're not going to rehash the "where do you play Jed Lowry" conversation right now. Right. But I think that there are a lot of there are a lot of interesting things the Mets could do with Jed Lowry right now. Yeah. All right, a couple, a couple of quick rapid fire questions for you. I just thought up. And then we'll get to uh, our music recommendations for this week. So, question number one. I'm trying to think of the least leading the witness way to answer this question. Um, (laughs) All right. If Robinson Cano is still hitting his current slash line on June 15th, we'll we'll go with, with, with Jed Lowry Day. Okay. Will you be officially worried?
2: Mm. sure yeah slightly he's one of those guys though that i'm always going to expect a return to form until it doesn't happen for a long long time i'm always going to think he can come back so i'll say i will
1: be worried but not overly worried so is there a date for this season that you will be overly worried august 1st (laughs) is that too late uh no, I mean, look, you do you, man. <laughs> you know, if you think August first is uh is a reasonable time frame, then sure. Yeah, I I hope it's not that long. I, I I just fear that. I mean, the big fear is that he's washed up, which I don't think is the case, but that's the big fear. The secondary right. fear is that if he has this sort of uh and perish the thought of even saying this. If he has sort of a this sort of Jason Bayish first year that no matter what he does from here on out, this is all we're ever going to hear about again. That's true. So, I hope he gets hot real fast. Um, yeah. And I don't know if dropping him in the lineup is the answer. I don't think that he's he's not a rookie, right? You don't need to play those games with him. He just needs to start hitting somehow. Yeah. All right, so that that was my first question. All right. Second question. Uh, At the end of the season, and not by any one particular metric, but just sort of overall looking at the team, who is the team's best non-Diaz reliever, and who is the team's best non-DeGrom starter?
2: I'll say Lugo and Sindergaard. Safe bets? Yeah. Lugo looks like he's the real deal. Gazelman's actually been a little bit better than I think people realize.
1: Yeah, I, I believe we're gonna have a piece on that either late this week or early next week on the site. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he has really improved a lot lately.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's a nice looking stat line. He's he's thrown a good amount of innings already. He's under, his under slider the slider a lot
1: more, which is which is a good pitch for him.
2: Yeah. But yeah, Lugo I feel like Lugo kind of fits into how I used to think about DeGrom. Uh, They're operating on different levels, obviously. But it was one of those, okay, he wasn't the most heralded prospect or anything. He comes up and puts up a nice ERA, doesn't quite match it, and then last year goes back and pretty much regains his form. It's kind of crazy. In 2016, he had a 2.67 ERA, and last year he had a
1: 2.66. <laughs> yeah. I would love
2: if he became the Chris Davis with a K, Chris, uh-huh. of, of pitching. Um, he hasn't done it yet. But that Chris Davis, as opposed to the Chris Davis who was 0 for 50, whatever, right? Yeah, <laughs> with a C, shaming those of us with the normal spelling of the name uh he what what was my point oh right chris with a k davis has hit 247 each season from 2015 through 2018 which is insane almost impossible to do right Uh, just just you couldn't at this point his career average is 247 Uh, of course it is he's (laughs) how could it not be you know, so it would be fun if Seth Luga was that kind of guy. Two point if it was 2.67, 2.66, 2.65, two point six six, two point six five, we'll just ignore the four point seven one from twenty seventeen. Right. <laughs> but but my point is, you know, guy comes up, isn't the biggest name, performs well, and I go, Okay, that's good. Let's see what happens, and kind of question it. And and my defense somewhere in that mix of everything was when we learned that his he had the partial tear in his elbow yes so i i doubted him a little bit and now i'm here realizing that that was wrong <laughs> so and cindergard self-explanatory uh since since i wrote the thing it was four starts ago the the start right after it wasn't great but the three after were overall Uh, even, even then his last four starts 3.54 ERA. And then I think it was a one something or maybe a low twos in his last three starts. He's looking like the kind of pitcher that we know he is. So yeah, would, would you, uh, Differ on either of those? You know, is Wheeler
1: catching probably, your attention? Probably not, but I th- I think I'd say Wheeler just because I think that Wheeler has the potential to dazzle. In a- like, we expect Syndergaard to do what Syndergaard's doing. And I think that Wheeler was this highly regarded prospect, which I still can't believe we got for three uh, months of Carlos Beltran. Like, that's, that's crazy. That's the greatest... That's one of the greatest fleecings in, in Mets history, uh, trade-wise. <laughs> but, you know, um, I just think that Wheeler has the ability to put it all together at a really interesting time. Like, the second half of last season, he was a year and a half away from free agency, and just something clicked with him. And, you know, I don't think the Mets are going to extend him mid-season, although they should. Let me say that on the record. The Mets should absolutely be extending Zach Wheeler this season. Please, please do so, Mets. But I think just to to watch him just get this much better after a couple of years of of him flashing potential and then for a few years of him not flashing anything, of just really looking like a broken pitcher, I just think he has the ability to be a more dazzling pitcher from that perspective. Even though I think Syndergaard will have better stuff – I think people are going to look at Wheeler and just be more impressed at how far he's come. Um, but essentially, I think your answers are correct ones.
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. Plus,
1: and uh, okay, last last one for now. Um, which do we see more of this year going forward? Do we see more? Uh, how, how can I put this? Do we see more backup catchers come up for the Mets? Like, not not Nito, essentially, you know, do we, do we see more backup catchers become come up for the Mets or? do we see more complete games from non degram starters?
2: I'll go complete games, non-Degrom.
1: I, I, if somebody that...
2: gets hurt, that, that, that changes things. But it, it, regular operating, I think Nito is locked in.
1: You, you think he is?
2: Yeah. I don't know why, but I think he is.
1: <laughs> I don't know what his deal is going to be. That's a guy I feel like, I like think there are, there are certain players that you want your franchise to not bring up until they are absolutely ready. And I feel like Nito, is this Nito's third season already? It is. I mean, I mean the first the one League was,
2: team? right. The first one was 10 played appearances, but it is. It's right. his third with... It's the third one that shows up on uh, fan graphs and baseball reference. (laughs) Right,
1: yeah. Uh, So it just seems like it's a like Nito is a player that they were relatively high on at at a time. And they just insisted on bringing him up too early a bunch of times. And I wonder if he'll ever, if he'll ever do what he could have done if he was handled properly.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
1: I don't know. We'll see. I would not be surprised if we saw three additional backup catchers get starts for the Mets this year.
2: Okay. I don't don't know who those three guys are. Rene Rivera's return.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know who those three guys are, but it just seems to me like uh, that's going to be who it is. And it's going to piss me off every time that it's not Devin Miserocco. Yes. (laughs) I asked Allison this last week. Do you think there's any chance at a, a reconciliation there?
2: Hmm. I'm going to say no. Just because it seemed like Masaraka was so pissed. And also, I'm I'm not criticizing him. But it does seem like perhaps there was this thought in his head that He wasn't wherever he wound up. If he didn't make a major league roster, he was going to retire anyway. Okay. Basically, okay. I'm I'm. He's not that old, but catching beats you up, and he's dealt with a lot of injuries. Sure. He's thirty. He's had major league success, but obviously his career hasn't panned out the way that you know you might have hoped when he was the prospect.
1: Right,
2: a highly chatted one at one point. So, uh, I don't know. It it could have just been the Mets. It could just be the Mets. He could unretire as soon as the season ends and ask every team in the NL East to sign him, <laughs> just so he can take it out on them. I could be wrong, but there is part of me that thinks that maybe he kind of went into the the offseason, seeing where he could end up and if if it didn't happen he was just gonna retire
1: yeah
2: and just, I, I would i would get that
1: yeah so would i it just seems to me like there's 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 a drive in all the ball players i've ever spoken to there's just this there's this just, just this drive to keep playing very right. few players want to hang it up Especially at 30, coming off of their healthiest season in however many years. You know, it just seems it, it seems like he'd be an odd guy given his age, what happened last season, his spring, all of that. It seems odd to me that he would be ready to hang it up.
2: True. But he did have that little window where they had built in the, the thing that felt like it had never existed until this winter.
1: The upward mobility
2: clause? Right, yes. Yes. I forgot the, um, you know, the terminology there. But it, it that did happen. No other team picked him up. The Mets say we're going to send you to AAA, even though it didn't make any sense at the time. So it, maybe it was more a spur of the moment. Maybe it wasn't a, a thing he thought all offseason. But getting rejected by the team that, sounded like they promised you a major league roster spot and having every other team pass on you to take a spot with them. I I could see that having an effect. Sure. But who knows, even if that is the case, in a month, he might go, you know what, I really miss playing baseball. I hate the Mets, but I like my teammates. And I'll call them up and see. If they'll, you know, send me to St. Lucie, prep for a couple weeks, and and make my way back up there. I think if the the backup catcher turn begins, that might be uh, around the time that he would do it. I'm still betting against it. I I, I think it's pretty much over, uh, but
1: you never know. To me, the the speed in which Travis Darnot found another team shows you the need for major league capable catching and no right. one's saying that Mesoraco is an all-star anymore but I mean he's better than Travis Darno, probably yeah yeah the overall package I think is better yeah
2: I mean I say this before uh, Darno puts up a 900 OPS as a member of the Rays <laughs> exactly I actually I wasn't worried about that happening in LA <laughs> But in Tampa, it's like, oh, yeah, that's, it's going to click. All
1: bets are off at that point, yeah.
2: Yeah. I didn't realize he actually got a plate appearance for uh, for the Dodgers.
1: Yeah. It goes on the baseball reference page forever. You can't take that away.
2: No. No, you can't. <laughs> uh, you, you can take away points off his stat line, or uh, slash line, though.
1: <laughs> yes, you certainly can. <laughs> Well, let's get to our music recommendations, Chris. We missed yours last week. Yes. What are you recommending for us this week?
2: Uh, so uh, there's there's two things with the caveat that they are artists that I like who made albums that I'm not... Um, I haven't made conclusions on yet. Okay. But they haven't knocked me over. But Big Thief put out a new record called UFOF. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very, very calm. And I might, at some point, think, "Hey, this is a really good record. It just hasn't been the mood I was looking for yet."
1: Sure, I get that.
2: Uh, so bands sometimes do that. They'll put out a record that I love the band, and uh, I can go, oh, "All right, that record's for these circumstances," and kind right. of file it away for that. So, so that record, uh, but you know, they are a really good band.
1: That record did the thing for me, which I, I I hate it when it happens, but it happens more than I would care to admit. Which is I put on the album when I was doing something else, like I was I was at work or I was doing the dishes, or whatever. And at some point, I realized the album was still going, but I had no reaction to it in like ten minutes. Right, and that's that's a bummer.
2: Yeah. Uh, so that's that was the one, and then the other. Here Comes the Cowboy by Mac DeMarco. And that one's chill, but not in the extreme way that the Big Thief record is. So uh, Mac is always a good time. I, I only, I've i only listened to it once so far. It only came out a few days ago. But uh, it, it, it was chill, but not too slow or not too quiet. Nothing on there that's quite as catchy as some of his... Catchiest stuff mm-hmm. from, from the past records But definitely solid uh, So yeah Those those are my two Big Thief if you're in the mood for A really well arranged Quiet record By talented people And Mac DeMarco if you're just looking for You know A slightly more refined Good time <laughs> Than than he's had uh, On some of the past records I mean, I I say that if you don't know Matt DeMarco, uh, my two favorite stories, uh, I'll keep it concise, but my two favorite things both came at the ends of shows that he played. Uh, One was at Webster Hall pre-renovation where he did a medley of uh, (laughs) Enter Sandman and a couple other big songs. Uh, I forget what they were but they just weaved back and forth through these three songs for like 20 minutes. And he crowd surfed for a good portion of that. And at a certain point, uh, former amazing Avenue writer, Brock Mahan and I were the only two people holding him up as he grabbed a <laughs> beer from the bar at the back of the floor at Webster hall. And I'm holding his chest with both of my hands like, Oh, I'm going to drop Mac DeMarco um, so just that, that, that sort of raucousness, that, that, uh, fun time with it, uh, that was a great example of it. <clears throat> Some at Radio City, the last 20 minutes were also kind of wild, but in that case, it was just kind of nonsensical wild. Like there was this, um, I, I don't even know what the right word is, like large, puppet skeleton of a t-rex and he kind of just got in it and ran around in it for a while and there wasn't really that much music going on um, <laughs> so yeah that's my mac demarco thing
1: my favorite mac demarco thing is at the end of his ep from a couple of years ago he gave out his actual address and said stop by for some coffee
2: yes he did <laughs> yep
1: <laughs> which i was tempted to do a few times but never actually did. Yeah. I think that'd be a very awkward thing to do. Like, Hey, I listened to your record. Here I am.
2: (laughs) And for some reason he moved to the other coast of the country shortly after.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wonder why that happened.
2: (laughs) What about you? Uh... So,
1: so this is the weirdest recommendation I'm probably going to do all season. Okay. Uh, I'm warning everybody of that now. So, um, Chris, have you ever been a, a viewer of Mystery Science Theater three thousand?
2: A little. I I'm not an expert.
1: Okay, but uh, a little. It, it it played a huge role in my like middle and high school years. I love. I I still love Mystery Science Theater very very much. One of the most famous episodes is called Manos, the Hands of Fate, which for a long time held the worst review. The worst um like star ranking on i m d b possible it was a one point it was one point nine stars, which was the lowest for any feature film for a long time and it's this movie that supposedly was made on a dare that the director <laughs> was like, I can do a movie, watch me do it, and cast like local theater people and made this movie that is the slowest like worst paced film of all time it's just it's as as one of the lines in the Mystery Science Theater episode was, every frame of this film looks like someone's last known photo. <laughs> like, it's a perfect way to describe it. It's it's jarring, it's weird, but it has this really good jazz soundtrack. Like, it's it's a at least a drummer, a piano player, and a jazz flautist. Uh, insert Anchorman Ron Burgundy joke here. Um, but it's this, like, really haunting score and they know it was composed because of the credits by guys by guys named robert smith jr not robert smith of the cure more than likely and uh and russ huddleston huddleston rather but they have no idea who played on it that all of that information has been lost to time and the only way you can the only way the soundtrack is to be heard is as part of the film because they don't have they don't have master tapes of it, but that didn't stop somebody from a couple of years ago, remastering it and releasing it on vinyl. And so, huh. um, it, uh, it has some bits of dialogue from the film in it, not for like aesthetic reasons, but because to get the music, you need to have the dialogue. Cause that's the only place to get the music. Um, and so it, The reason this came up was because this guy wears, the main character is called, like, the Master, and he wears this black cloak with these red hands on them. And someone sent me a picture today of a guy cosplaying as Thanos, Hands of Fate, where he was wearing, like, this yellow cape and he has the Infinity Gauntlet on his, like, thing. It's a totally like niche weird dumb joke, <laughs> but it got me thinking about this movie and so I was like, let me look online and see if I can learn about this movie and I saw that the soundtrack is available on vinyl. So I listened to it today at work and it's really good. So I bought the vinyl from The Manos Hands of Fate soundtrack this week. <laughs> and uh, it's not on Spotify or Apple Music, but it's all on YouTube and it's on Bandcamp. Um, so it's there are bits of it that remind me of at the bad plus a little bit it was one of my favorite jazz bands. Um, but just a really interesting sort of free jazz, very haunting music. So yeah, I, I wish I could say like, I love the drumming of so-and-so, but literally nobody knows who that is. <laughs> so yeah, that's my suggestion. Nice. I said it's the weirdest one I'm going to do all season. So Hey, I, I like it. I like weird. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, tomorrow we'll have an Amazing Avenue in Conversation podcast. First one in a few weeks. We're excited about that. Uh, go to AmazingAvenue.com to check out all of our and other people's writing about the Mets. We've had some really great stuff come out recently. Uh, Maggie Wigan just wrote a great piece about Ahmed Rosario. Uh, Allison McKay just wrote something about uh, Wilson Ramos. I said we hope to have something about Robert Gazelman in the next few days, so check out AmazonAvenue.com Check out amazingavenue Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at AmazonAvenue uh, You can email us. We haven't got an email in forever. Please email us podcast at gmail.com You can find Chris and I on Twitter. I'm Brian needs a nap. Chris is a Chris McShane and uh, until next time, let's go Mets! we